Hey, we have a couple uh, new additions to our church today that we should welcome. So Ryan and Hannah are fostering uh, a young baby, Athena. So, yes. And also, the cooks this past week introduced Adoniram into the world. So give it up for the cooks, Raymond and Leanne. And we're gonna, I'm going to pray for both of them, uh, both those babies right now. Lord, um, I pray for both those babies. For Athena, Lord, um, you know the story with um, her biological mom and dad. So whatever's going on there, would you just intercede and be merciful and gracious and bring salvation to that household? I pray that uh, you would fill your spirit, um, Ryan and Hannah, with your spirit, Lord, to minister to that um, baby for Athena, that whatever um, she might go in, in the future days, weeks, and months, God, that your hand would be upon her, that she would come to know you in a real and powerful way, God, that your uh, spirit would always be with her. And Lord, I pray for Adoniram that um, he would hold to his namesake, God, and have a heart for missions and furthering your word, God, that your hand would be upon him from an early day, and that you would uh, go before him and, and pave the way, give Leanne and Raymond much wisdom, um, as they minister to their son, as they raise him, as they shepherd him. And may they always point to you time and time again, God. We pray that um, both their lives, Lord, would be lives that uh, bring honor and glory to you. Amen. Children are a blessing. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are no longer in the domain of darkness and that we are in the kingdom of your beloved Son, Jesus. We thank you that you pour out your mercy and grace upon us, that salvation is in no other name but by the name of Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the gift of eternal life that you give us. And God, we want to be a people that are busy about your word. We want to be a people that are molded into the image of your son. We want to be a people that hear from you and then walk it out. So help us today, Lord, as we hear from your word to truly hear it to truly hear it and then walk by it. Thank you that it is by your spirit, by the strength that you give us that we can do this. It's not by our own strength, but by the power of you that you give to us. And thank you for the salvation found in your son Jesus. Bless our time now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are wrapping up part three today on our uh, series of the Knowledge of Knowledge, where we've been looking at 
um, the pitfalls of Gnosticism and some of the dangers there. So really what I'm going to do today is just a short recap because it's been a couple weeks since we took a couple weeks for the sanctity of human life uh, to focus on that. A brief recap, and then we're going to actually look at um, some of the lies of Gnosticism and identifying those and making sure that we are not falling into some of the Gnostic traps that occur. Because there's just, it, it, it's still pre- prevalent today, and we want to identify some of those and realize how we can combat it and fight against it. So just a brief review. One of the things that Paul is uh, combating here in the book of Colossians is this heresy of Gnosticism. And Gnosticism really had a primary focus on this idea of knowledge, and not just like any knowledge, but a focus on a hidden or secret knowledge, and that you had to come really to the Gnostics to get this secret knowledge in order to be freed, not from your sin, but from ignorance. And that we are in, uh, we are in bondage because the world is not, was not originally created good by a loving and gracious God. No, it was a result of a, a demigod, so to speak, that, um, that was an accident, and therefore we are accidents, and therefore the world itself is really an accident and is not really supposed to be. So the way we get free is to kind of like either, one, deny the physical world and realize how evil it is, <clears throat> so we just abstain from everything, or Gnosticism actually took a second route, um, where it was like, well, since everything's wicked and evil, I might, might as well just partake of it because my, my body's already fallen and, and wicked, so uh, it's already polluted, so why not enjoy it that much more? Um, this was creeping in, and so what you had was Gnosticism was trying to be um, kind of syncretized with Christianity, and every religion has tried to do that, and every really uh, worldview system has tried to come in, if it's not a biblical worldview, it's tried to syncretize itself, which means to like come and blend elements of Christianity with whatever that particular worldview or religion is. When I was at um, uh, the University of Missouri-Columbia, um, my, one of my professors claimed to be a Buddhist Christian. Okay? I mean, it's a contradiction, but he was trying to syncretize things of Buddhism and, and things with Christianity. Which one do you think won out? The Buddhism, right? Like, there's oh, just those tiny little parts that I kind of sort of like about Christianity, and then the Buddhism, which kind of throws the door open for whatever I want to do, right? Um, so definitely um, <clears throat> what we need to combat against is making sure that when we're, when we're believing what we're supposed to believe, like it's coming straight from the Scriptures, and hold it up against that, which is what we're going to look at kind of in part two of my sermon. Um, so, in this view with Gnosticism, really Jesus doesn't come as the Redeemer. He comes to deliver a message of self-redemption. Okay, so you need to save yourself, essentially. And again, the real problem isn't sin, it's ignorance. But here's the thing, and we talked about this last time, like, we... Um, we see and know and acknowledge, and we can look in the scriptures and see that like knowledge is good, right? Knowledge is a good thing, and that there is a place for knowledge. But the thing is this, you can't place anything above Christ. Nothing at all. You can't put it above Christ. And you can't say that you need Christ, and you need this additional special knowledge. If you have Christ, if you have the fullness of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth, 
died on the cross, three days later was raised again, showing that he had victory over sin and victory over death, guess what? You can be forgiven of your sins if you realize, look, Jesus did that for me. Like, he did that for me. And you come and you trust in him, and you turn away from the sin in your life, you turn away from it, that's the word repentance, and you turn towards the Father. And you can be reconciled. Reconciled. That's a word that it, it, it has so many different meanings, sadly, in today's world, and we use the term reconciliation. But to truly be reconciled means you come in the sense of <clears throat> the vertical relationship we have with God. We're being reconciled to the Father through the suffering, through the death, through our sins being placed upon Jesus when he died, right? Those sins were paid for. And we can be reconciled to God because guess what? Our sins were on Jesus, so our sins were paid for. Amen? So that allows us to be reconciled to God. If we trust in the finished work of Christ, if we humble ourselves, if we come before God the Father and repent, trusting in what he did through his son Jesus, guess what? We are reconciled to God. Right now, if, you're not a, if you are an unbeliever, the Bible says that you're an enemy of God. I don't want to be an enemy of God. Do you want to be an enemy of God? Now, most people probably would say they don't want to be an enemy of God. It, it's interesting that people take the Lord's name in vain, right? They'll say God, and then sometimes they'll add a word after it, right? Or they'll say Jesus, and they use it as a curse word. Think about that. When you, when you take the Lord's name in vain, you're, you're using it as a curse word. What better evidence is there of a world that hates God? I mean, think about if someone walked around kind of taking your name. Like, your name, you didn't even really get to choose it, right? But your name was given to you, and your parents put some thought into that name. But if people just walked around, like, flippantly using your name or using it as a curse word, like, I mean, you probably wouldn't really care for that, right? You're like, oh, justice, you know? I mean, that's not cool. You wouldn't appreciate that. Well, how much more so like a holy God, like one of the commandments, right? Like revere his name. But how many times is it broken when we're just flippantly using it as a curse word? Yeah, that's not cool to God. His name is holy. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> when, they, when the Masorites, who were the scribes that would take the Old Testament and, and write it down, they were very careful and handled the Word of God very carefully when they took a manuscript, <clears throat> one that they knew was completely accurate 100%, and then they would use that, and then they'd transcribe it. Some of the schools of the, uh, the Masorites, so they would check it, you know, line, what's on line 15, the fourth word, compared to the original manuscript, and if it was, if it was wrong, they burned that whole manuscript. Like, they were serious to make sure that the Word of God got passed on. But one of the other things they were, they were careful to do is they wanted to make sure that the Lord's name was not taken in vain. So if you're reading along it, <clears throat> one of the reasons that we get some different iterations of the Lord's name, Yahweh, was because they used different what were called vowel points. They didn't actually have vowels like A-E-I-O-U. They had little points that actually aren't even in the original. <clears throat> but to, in order to read it, they would put little different vowel points under the words, and so what they did when it came to Yahweh to make sure it wasn't um, pronounced incorrectly or wrongly or that the, the scribe wasn't just kind of taking it vainly was that they would use the words for the word Adonai, and they'd put those under there to remind the priest or whoever was reading the scriptures they needed to be really careful with the word they were about to read. I mean, if that's the, the extent 
that the, that the uh, Israelites in the Old Testament went to make sure they were very careful with God's name. Like, like see the, the solemnity and seriousness of it? Even when you think about Moses, when he, um, God reveals himself, right? Like he's like taking off his shoes, the ground you're at is holy. Why? Because God is there himself. And he re- he's revealing himself to Moses, right? And he's just like, oh, just call me whatever you want or just flippantly refer to me. However, no, he's pretty serious about his name, right? Well, how much more should like we be? We need to take a hint from the Old Testament and from the New Testament of what God means when he talks about using his name and using it the proper way. We need to make sure that we re- revere the Lord. It says to fear him, right? Part of the fearing is revering, revering him for who he is. So <clears throat> we talked about it last time with this idea that um, all you need is Christ. You don't need Christ in some special knowledge. You need Christ. So the Gnostics came along and they were plying their wares. And what were they plying? What was for sale? This knowledge, okay, this secret knowledge. So really what they were telling to the Colossians you know, Epaphras is mentioned in verse 7 because he's been doing ministry there. And they're basically saying, look, we've got it figured out more than Epaphras. We've got it figured out more than, than Paul. Like, we have these deeper truths, okay? And those guys are just like the simpletons. Don't listen to them. Listen, that's, that's charlatans. You can turn on uh, different Christian, you know, TV stations and sometimes see those charlatans. Sometimes some, you can sadly hear it on the radio. You get on social media, you can see it all over the place. Listen. If anyone, it's kind of like what Galatians 1 talks about. If anyone's calling you to a different Jesus, like they're a false teacher. And Paul gets so serious, I think we're going to look at it a little bit later, but he gets so serious, he's like, look, even if an angel appears to you, like don't believe the angel. This is not an angel, right? So here's the the thing that I want to say for us today. We as believers need to be on the lookout. uh, The the Bible talks about being sober-minded. Sober-minded, okay? Be aware, be on the lookout. Uh, be watchful. Why? Because there's a danger for us. All sorts of dangers are out there. All sorts of dangers are out there trying to creep into our minds and our thoughts. Because sometimes I think, you know, we've been here, this is the third part of the sermon, and sometimes people are like, well, I don't believe anything that the Gnostics believe. I mean, you just kind of did a recap, and I don't really believe any of that. Well, maybe. I hope not. Probably not those things. But that, that Gnosticism can have an influence Okay, bad ideas lead to bad consequences, right? Bad ideas have bad consequences. So sometimes the, the root of an idea, you might be able to identify and completely cross it out. But if that root has started to grow fruit, you need to make sure you, you can see the fruit too and identify the bad fruit. So there's some lies today that we believe that have some of their roots in Gnosticism. The first is, is the plainest and the most simple, that we need Jesus plus something else. We need Jesus plus something else. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Okay, you guys probably want to know what verse I'm in. I'll probably have to give you like five minutes to turn there because it's a pretty long, pretty long psalm. Verse 57. You probably have to turn like five pages or something. Okay, verse 57, Psalm 119. The Lord is my portion. Is that what your version says? The Lord is my portion. Okay, the Lord, He is ours and we are His. He is our portion. He is all we need. We need to make sure that He truly is our all in all. 
We need to make sure that He is our treasure. Look back in Colossians in chapter 2. He starts off in verse 1 of chapter 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Okay, so the mystery is Christ. And then look what he says in verse 3, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right, so that what are the Gnostics saying? Oh no, you got to come to us, and you got to have this this special knowledge. Now, what is what is the Lord reminding the Colossians here? Where the where's the treasure hidden? The, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's in Christ. Like if you have Christ, you have those treasures. You have that wisdom. You have that knowledge. Years ago. Um, there was a book written, The Bible Code. Anybody remember that? <clears throat> well, that, my point is made. It's come and gone, right? Um, but uh, the Bible Code claimed that there was this secret uh, message or knowledge in the Old Testament that could uh, predict um, future events. Now, the, and ironically, the only thing it, it, could, it could predict was things that had already happened, and you had to go to the fifth letter of, of the, you know, in Genesis 18 and the third verse, and, and then grab this letter, and then grab this letter. I mean, it was, it was, it was hocus-pocus. It was bogus. But you know what? People bought it, like, big time. Big time. That was only, like, maybe... 15 or 20 years ago, the fact that none of you, most of you have never even heard of it just kind of shows that, I mean, how bogus it was. Like, it just, it came and gone and had its time, but at the time, like, it kind of was the rage for some people, and it was really sad. Like, I went ahead and read the book, not because I thought there was much to it, because I was just like, I just want to know, <clears throat> from the teacher's point of view, like, what is this guy spouting? What's he saying? And it was, it was a bunch of, it was a bunch of hooey. But it, but it swayed some people, and they thought, oh, there's this secret hidden message. Now, one of the ways you can do that is by just talking one or two levels above people. So uh, most of you probably don't know Hebrew, right? So if you say, well, it's in the Hebrew, okay, well, then, then you've, you've automatically kind of removed yourself from at least one step of that because then he's talking supposedly having the knowledge, which he didn't, um, uh, on, on a level that, that you without much learning, wouldn't have access to, right? But what is that? What is he getting at there? That's somewhat of a special knowledge that's starting to occur that he's arguing for, right? Now, if you knew the Hebrew, and that's why it kind of, I'm just going to be honest, it kind of drives me crazy sometimes when people claim to know the Hebrew or claim to know the Greek, right? Um, because, <clears throat> and, and I don't think most pastors do this, but some people, you know, claim to know that, and then they're, they're kind of taking advantage of the fact that most people don't, and then they espouse something that's not true. And that's not cool, right? James 3, let not many of you be what? Teachers, right? So you start speaking and saying that God's word says certain things when it doesn't, you're in trouble. James 3, you're going you're gonna to have the greater judgment. So um, all we need is Jesus. All we need is Jesus. And Paul is saying, look, whatever the Gnostics are selling, you don't need it because you have Jesus, Okay. He is the revealed mystery of which it says in whom are hidden not just some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures. Second lie. 
the pursuit of knowledge is the pursuit of godliness. Now think about that for a moment. If that were true, if the pursuit of knowledge is the pursuit of godliness, if that were true, then unbelievers pursuing knowledge like would end up saved. They'd end up holy. But they don't always, right? I mean, some of them do, but they don't always. We've got to be careful that we don't make sure that we say that um, pursuing... Now, don't get me wrong, but like, I love learning and I love knowledge and I love digging into the Scriptures, and that's important. But we have to be careful just to assume that because we have more knowledge, that makes us more godly. And that's not the case. Okay? Sometimes we can feel superior in our theological stances or beliefs because we can define superlapsarianism or infralapsarianism or hypostatic union or the communicatio uh, idiomatum, all those things. Like, those are good, and, and some people do need to know those things, and sometimes we need to have those discussions at a little bit deeper level. <clears throat> but if you're not careful, that's kind of the Gnostic way. Like, you know better because you have a special access or a special knowledge. And you've come along further because you have that knowledge. Or we're better because we know more. Listen, what does 1 Corinthians 13 say? Let's just turn there. I know we've looked at it before, but let's look at it again in 1 Corinthians 13. It's good for us to be reminded of this. So he says in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I mean, brothers and sisters, like that's some impressive stuff going on here, right? Speaking in, in the tongues of men and of angels, having prophetic powers, understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, having faith to remove mountains. But what does Paul say? Like without the love? It's nothing. You're nothing. So we have to be careful when it comes to, to knowledge <clears throat> and, and putting it on a, on a pedestal it doesn't belong on. Knowledge is good, and one of the things that if you want to pursue God, if you want to grow in Him, if you want to have the fullness of Christ, then guess what? Learn about God. Like, learn about God and His amazingness and His awesomeness. Like, camp yourself in the Psalms and see how David and the other writers are, are pouring out their heart. Uh, pick up uh, a theology that goes into the attributes of God and learn more deeply about how uh, omnipotent he is, how omnipresent he is, how omniscient he is. Like, those are the things <clears throat> that, that you want to be taken to a level where you're just in awe and, and revering the Lord. Like, like, start there. Some of these other things, you know, and, and I mean, there's different things um, that I love pursuing, um, textual criticism, like, I, I love that, but I don't read a lot of books on it because I just don't see it beneficial, um, even personally and, and even from the pulpit. There's a place for it, and I'm glad guys are studying it. And if you don't even know what that word means, that's okay. Um, but you give me a book on that, I'll probably have it read by the next day. That's just, I just enjoy that particular, like, super subcategory of, of, of study. But does it really help me grow in my godliness? I'd actually have to say no, which is one of the reasons I don't read a ton of books on it. Pursue that, which is going to help you grow in, the, in godliness. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, you're, you're still there, so just flip back a couple chapters in chapter 8, and look what he says. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. 
this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I mean, he, he's going he's to say a similar thing, right, five chapters later. <clears throat> and, I, and I've been in meetings before where I've, I've heard that it's like the, the gong is sounding, right? Like there's a whole lot of maybe information or a, a whole lot of prophetic powers, but not much love in that meeting, right? That's not good. That's not good. So let's identify that lie. Let's, not, let's make sure we realize the pursuit of knowledge um, does not equate to the pursuit of godliness. It can aid, it can help, there's a place for it. Um, and there's certain types of knowledge, like I just said, that can help us more and certain that can help us less. Next lie. It's on me to do it all. Think about with Gnosticism for a moment. It was about really Jesus' message was one of self-redemption. Like he came to tell you that you needed to redeem yourself. What did you need to be redeemed of? Not from sin, but from ignorance. But sometimes we, we believe that lie of it's on me to do it all. I think we can do that even with our salvation at times or our right standing with the Lord, but we can also just do it in our walk with God. Jesus already did it all, right? Jesus paid it all. What did he say on the cross? It is finished, right? It's finished. It's finished. On the cross, it was finished. So access to the Father is through the finished work of the Son. And there's nothing that we can add to it. Now, we can try to add to it, but there's nothing we can add to it. So a lot of times you have to realize, like, our salvation comes entirely, completely, solely from God himself. There's nothing that we can do to add to it. He is the one that saves us. Do we save ourselves? No. We don't save ourselves. Okay, we're saved by God's grace through faith, right? Faith is like the, the, the instrument or the vehicle, but we're saved by God's grace. He is the one who's the saver. We're like the savee, so to speak. He is the one that is the redeemer. We are the redeemed. So it's not on me to do it all. But sometimes what happens, we can get that understanding with salvation correct, like our initial salvation. We're like, okay, no, I understand. Like Christ did it all for me, and, and you know, I, I played no role, right? It's, it's by grace, through faith. <clears throat> but then what do we end up doing in our walk with Jesus is we end up falling to the trap as we're walking with him of thinking, oh, it's back on me to do it all. Like that might be maybe in the church, it might be in, in your home, it might be at work, but we just fall into this mentality that we, we have to do it all. And we see a good example of it. It's been used before, but it's, it's worth looking at, uh, of Jesus interacting with, uh, with Martha in Luke chapter 10. So look there. Verse 38, Luke 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Okay, so Martha's distracted, right? And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. All right, let me just stop there. Like, anxious, verse 41, and troubled, 
about many things. Like she's, she's so focused on the different things and serving Jesus that she misses out on being with Jesus. She misses out on being with him. So focused on serving him. And guess what? That happens to us sometimes. Like we're so focused on doing his work, we actually just miss out on his presence. And that's, that's sad and disappointing. But let's acknowledge that, that that's one of the traps that we can fall into. It's a lie that we, we sometimes believe that we, we, we're so busy about doing his work that we forget about just being with him and enjoying him. Right? Like we've, we, we were made for a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And guess what? Just like, I mean, if, if you have friends uh, in your life, like you want to enjoy that. Part of that friendship is enjoying that relationship, right? Now you might be doing things or talking or whatever. If you're married, right, you have a relationship with your spouse, but it, I mean, you want to enjoy that relationship. I mean, you, you married them for a reason, right? And part of that is the enjoy, you enjoy that person. Well, the same is true with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Like, sometimes we just, we end up putting up like a wall between us and God, and guess what? The only one building walls is us. That's a fact, okay? God, God doesn't build the walls. He's the one that tears them down, right? Uh, Ephesians talks about the dividing wall of hostility, right? I mean, that's the one that we built. And sometimes, even though God's torn that down and we've been reconciled to the Father, guess what? Like, we fall back into like a mindset of an unbeliever, and we start building walls again. But that wall is not built by, by the Lord, okay? He's the one that tears that down. So sometimes we're in our relationship with him, and it seems like, like there's some type of wall. Well, guess what? Like, that's not on him. It's really true. It's not on him. Think of the parable of the prodigal son, because sometimes <clears throat> we've probably, in, in different ways, at different times, um, been in the position of the, of the prodigal, okay? When, when the prodigal came back, did the, did the father treat him any different than, than the day before he left? No. He's part of the family, right? He's the son. But do you, but do you think that the prodigal maybe felt, felt a little awkward? And he felt a little out of place? But was that because the father was treating him any different? No. No. So sometimes what happens is, is, is we come back because maybe we have done something and we've repented and we come back to the Father and we feel like, oh, things are out of place. We feel a little bit awkward. But that's not because of the way that the Father is treating us. Okay? That's very important. And so we, sometimes we're like, well, I feel like the Lord's not here. I feel like the Lord doesn't love me. Like those are, those are again, those are lies. So if, the, if, the, if God can, can, um, can see, see the prodigal coming and he, and he rushes out and he's hugging him, right, and killing the fatted calf and having a big old party, I mean, that's the picture that Jesus himself gives us of how we're supposed to see the Father, right? Right? So all those things about, well, sometimes I feel, well, I mean, I'm not discounting that you might not feel that way. I've felt that way at times, but it's not true. It's a lie. You got to recognize it for what it is and then call it out, right? So, I mean, just remember like that parable. We, yeah, we might feel awkward sometimes, but, but that's because of maybe us. It is because of us. It's, it has nothing to do with the Father and how He's treating us. He's a very good and gracious God, quick to forgive. I mean, think about it. If, in, in that parable, like, <clears throat> 
If you understand the, the, Jewish, the Jewish times there, he, by asking for his inheritance early, he, he was saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. Right? When do you get inheritances? When they die. Right? That's when the inheritance comes. So he went to his dad and was basically like, hey, can, can, can we just act like, I really want you dead, but I'm not going to kill you because that would be wrong. So can we just act, act like you're dead and I can have my part of the inheritance? Like you talk about major insult and how hurtful would that be to the father, right? So the father had every, every right to keep his son at, at arm's length if he wanted to. And be like, I don't know if you're really real about this or I don't know, you kind of burned me. And now I only got half my money and I'm still alive. No. What does he do? Like that, it, it's forgiven in a moment. And that's how the Lord is with us. Like we, when, when we turn back, when we repent, when we come to him, it is forgiven in a moment. And, and how does he remember it? As far as the east is from the west, right? As far as the east is from the west, that's how he remembers our sins. Like the east and the west, guess what? If you go east, you're never going west. And if you're going west, you'll never go east. As far as the east is from the west, they don't meet. They don't meet, right? As far as they are, that's how good God looks at our sin, man. It's gone. It's been taken care of. So back to the wall. If you feel like there's a wall, one, there's not. There's not. There's really not. Okay? If you are a believer, the wall of hostility has been torn down. It's been torn down. So you might feel like there's a wall at times, but if, if, if there for some reason is, it's because you've built it. You've built that wall. You've got to tear it down yourself, right? And sometimes that wall is just lies that you're believing about the Lord. It's the lies that you've, you've put too much stock into and you've been influenced by different things apart from the Word of God that makes you feel like He doesn't love me, He doesn't care about me, He's abandoned me, I'm all alone. Okay? You've got you to just rebuke those and call them out for what they are. Lies from the enemy. Which leads into my next lie, which the lie is, you're on your own. If you think about what the Gnostics said, they said that God wasn't enough. It was on you to realize that you needed more. But here's the thing. There's a reoccurring theme in the Bible. It's a beautiful theme in where God pursues those who are alone. Think about God pursuing Hagar in the wilderness, right? I mean, she's not even like part of the, of the chosen, right? But God pursues her. God pursues her. And Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman at the well, right? Like totally politically, you know, incorrect for his day as a Jew. But he, he pursues her. What about Ruth? Like that whole story is about like this lady who doesn't belong, but actually does belong, right? Like she belongs. And even when you think about how Jesus, you know, he met with lepers, right? On, on a road by themselves. Why? Because the, the lepers were isolated. They, they couldn't ever come into the towns. So they're, they're isolated. So the only place you really could meet them would be on a road. They had to seek and try to figure out where he was. If they tried to get to him, they would have been cast out, but not with Jesus. And even the demon-possessed, right? They're in the, in the caves of banishment, if you will. And what happens? Jesus comes to them. 
So when we think about feeling like we're alone, like over and over, we see throughout the scriptures, Jesus is a pursuer of those who feel alone. And we know, as believers, that we're not alone. God does not abandon his children ever. He never abandons his children. He, he says in the Old Testament, he says in the New Testament, I'll never leave you, nor what? Forsake you. Forsake you. All right, a couple more lies, and then we'll wrap up. Next lie. This is similar to, to, to one of the first lies, is, is that you need more than the gospel for salvation. Here's the thing. If you have the gospel, like if you've believed the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he did for you on the cross, that he paid for your sins, that the punishment has been paid, that if you've trusted in him, turned away from your sins, humbled yourself before the Father, like you have what you need. Why? Because you have the Father. Why? Because you have the Son. Why? Because you have the Spirit. Like if you are bought by the blood of the Lamb, then you are a child of God. And God has been gracious to pour out his mercy and grace on you. So you don't have to go like scratching or clawing for some secret or insight that might really give you the real thing. Now you have the real thing. It's Jesus. He's the real thing. You already have the real thing. So if you have Jesus, I mean, that's who you pursue, right? In him are all the treasures of of wisdom and knowledge. Pursue him. So there's no addition to the gospel. What happens if you add anything to the gospel? It's no longer the gospel. The Galatians were being tempted to fall into that trap. Look at Galatians chapter 1. He says, I am astonished, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you and the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I mean, basically, they were starting to believe different lies about God, about Jesus, and about the gospel itself. They're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So he's, he's making it clear. Look, there's really only one gospel, right? Verse 7, not that there's another one. <clears throat> there's only one gospel, but you're turning to like a different false gospel. He uses two different words there in the Greek to distinguish that. But look what he says. But even if we, so even if the apostle Paul himself even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. So there's, there's no addition to the gospel. There is the one gospel that has been here from the beginning. You get glimpses of it all the way back in Genesis. right? It's that biblical theology, the story that's been being woven from Genesis to Revelation. We see it there, glimpses of it. What, is it be, what happens? We see it more clearly as time goes on. We have the privilege of looking back on it and seeing the complete picture. But what did, what did the, the, the faithful Jews, the believing Jews did? They looked forward to the promised Messiah. We looked back to the promised Messiah that's already come and will come again. So there's no addition to the gospel. Next lie, there's different levels of Christianity. No, there's not different levels. There's not different levels. 
There's not level one, and then you work really hard, and you get to level two. It's not like this is Super Mario Brothers, right? And you got to complete this level and, and get the mushroom, get to the next level, make sure you don't shrink. <clears throat> no. Like, if you're justified by the blood of the Lamb, you're justified by the blood of the Lamb. Okay? Now, are we growing in, in maturity? Yes, we should be growing. But there's no second entrance. You, you're, you're either part of the kingdom or you're not. You're either in the flesh or in the spirit. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. <clears throat> what are we all called to do? Regardless of where we're at in our walk, we're supposed to do what Hebrews 12 talks about, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. Strive for peace and for the holiness because look what it says, without which no one will see the Lord. So we're striving for holiness. That is, that is incumbent upon each one of us as believers. If we are doing that, guess what's going to happen? We will continue to grow in wisdom and knowledge. Why? Because we're pursuing after. We're pursuing after Jesus himself. Next lie. The material is bad. Now that, that's specifically the Gnosticism that, that Paul is combating, that the material is bad. Um, it's like a false asceticism that sees spirituality and all the things you don't do. So you, you kind of define your life by the things you don't do rather than the things you do do. Colossians chapter 2. He says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And then uh, skip ahead about 13 verses. Verse 20, chapter 2, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Okay? When, I, when I first got saved and I was reading this, I was like, oh, there's certain things we're not supposed to handle, taste, or touch. No, I misread it. Okay? He's saying this is the trap that people are saying, and they're putting additional burdens on people, this false Gnosticism, and, and he's quoting three of the things that they would say. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. I mean, imagine for a second the Israelites priding themselves in the Old Testament on all the things they didn't do. Like, I don't eat pork, I don't eat cheeseburgers, I don't eat shrimp. Like, <clears throat> whoop de do. Like, we're called to follow, follow the laws that the Lord has laid before us. The law of Christ is what we're under. That's what we submit to. We submit to the Word. So creation... When we think about the material being bad, listen, the creation is God's, right? And it's a good and beautiful creation. It's good and beautiful. It didn't stop being beautiful because of sin. Now, sin affected it, <clears throat> but some of you that like to go on hikes and do different trips like that, like there's a lot of beauty in God's creation. A lot of beauty in God's creation, even with the taintedness of sin. Think of how much more beautiful it will be when he one day comes to redeem creation itself. But it's still God's wondrous and beautiful creation. Uh, two more lies. You have to do it. You have to do it yourself. You have to do it yourself. Listen. I found this quote. I thought it was good. You were not made to believe in yourself because you were not made to be in control. Right? You're not made to believe in yourself because you're not made to be in control. That's hard for some of you control freaks out there. 
You were made to believe in someone else. You were made to trust someone else to be in control. That is ultimately what faith is, trusting in the one who sits on the throne as king. Listen, let's not believe the lies that get whispered in our ears. Sometimes from our own flesh, sometimes from from the culture and the world, sometimes from the devil himself. But let's recognize those whispers and and hold them up to see if they're true or not, and many of them aren't. We want the missing key. We want the secret ingredient. We can end up easily falling into Gnosticism ourselves if we just read this one book like that has all the answers. Like you just got to watch this one YouTube video and you'll know what to do. No. Like the answers for, for what truly matters are right here. What does Jesus say to his disciples? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, right? Well, guess what? Like these lies, that's what some people are baking. All right? They're baking that, that leaven of the Pharisees. They're baking a false bread. And guess what? We treat it like it's the world's best cinnamon rolls. All right? We've got to stop doing that. We, gotta stop. we wouldn't eat it if, it if it didn't taste good. True? We wouldn't eat it if it, didn't, if it didn't meet what we thought was some need we have. Listen, all of our needs, all of our needs... All of our needs are met in Jesus Christ. Every single one of them, all right? Every single one of them. So if you think you're lacking, well, then go to the Son. He will fill you up. Don't believe the lies. So there's an emphasis here, and I'll close with this. I'm going to close with two things. There's an emphasis here that we're going to see in Colossians, on fullness. And I probably hit upon it in the first um, couple sermons way a few months back of being fulfilled in Christ. So even in Colossians, we haven't got to it yet, but in Colossians 1.19, it says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So this idea of the fullness of God, it's Jesus. He's the fullness of God, right? But then further, in verse 9 of chapter 2, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so there's this idea that we're going to see, and we've even seen it here in verse 10, fully pleasing to him of being fulfilled in Christ. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, like we're, we're trying to get fulfillment and we're looking for it in the wrong places. And we're sipping from uh, cisterns that aren't God's. They're, they're the world's. And the word that the Lord, I felt, spoke to me about, like... <clears throat> One, the fullness of Christ is ours in abundance. If you choose not to drink from that well, that is your choice. But the well is there. And it has great water, but you have to choose to drink from it, and only you can choose that. But choose to drink from it. Like, Jesus is the living water. You know, you read through John, and he's talking about all the, 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 the I am statements. You know, I am the living water. Like, he was completely challenging the, the feasts and the festivals and exactly what was going on when he was making those statements. There is traditions and rituals for, the, for living water. And he's saying, no, I'm the living water, right? I'm the good shepherd. 
So he's the living water. He's the one that will refresh your soul. And we walk around sometimes like empty vessels. But that's a contradiction of who we are in Christ. We're not the empty vessels. We have the fullness of Christ in us. So one of the words, one of the words, one of the key words, I think, as we're kind of getting into 2023, guess what? I mean, once we realize we've been um, doing something false or believing something false, what are we supposed to do? Repent, right? We're supposed to repent. And if we've been doing things that are not pleasing to God, we're supposed to repent. And if, we, if there are certain things we've been neglecting that we should be doing, we're supposed to repent. So repentance. Repentance is one of the key words for today. The answer to error is repentance. The answer to sin is repentance. The answer to missing the mark is always repentance. It might be lust. It might be porn. It might be fornication. It might be money. It might be treating your spouse poorly. I mean, all sorts of different things. All sorts of different things. The way, the, the speech that we use towards other people, the speech that's just going through our mind that nobody else sees, the filth and the trash that's there. Horrible fruit comes from these. And that of fruit appears not just in our life, it starts to appear in other people's lives, right? It's because that fruit can spread in our spouse, in our children. A little leaven, Paul said, leavens what? The whole lump. So let's begin 2023 with repentance. You know what happens after repentance? Think about it for a moment. What happens after repentance? What did, what did Jesus say? There's, there's more what's going on in heaven when one person repents? Rejoicing. There's rejoicing. There's joy, right? There's that renewal of, of the relationship with the Father. There's repentance. Everyone wants Jesus as long as there's no repentance. But if you want Jesus, there will be repentance. So I want to encourage us as the, as the worship team's coming up. Like, where do we need to repent? Where do we need to repent? What do we need to repent of? What do we need to make right with God? Because today's the day that we need to do that. Today is the day. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that you're here with us. We pray you'd continue to fill this room with your presence. Send your spirit to do his ministering work, his convicting work, his building up work, his work of pointing out our sin. Speak to us now, Father. And everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but I want you to raise your hand if you know you need to repent of something. Thank you. All right. Who else? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? There's many hands going up. So we're going to take another moment and you can, you can get right with the Lord right now. So whatever that is that you need to repent of, do it now.
Lord, thank you that your mercies are new every morning, that you never give up on us, that you are always there for us. Even when we turn our back on you, you don't turn your back on us. Thank you that you are quick to forgive, that you, you put up with us, and you put up with us a whole lot, God. But you don't just put up with us, you love us in the midst of ministering to us, of being long-suffering, of being patient. You are a good and gracious God. You don't stand there tapping your foot waiting for us to turn around, Lord. You're pursuing after us. God, even when we're not pursuing you, you're pursuing after us. And thank you that you pursued us for salvation, but even as your children, you continue to pursue us as we trip up, as we fall, as we get caught up in different things that are not pleasing to you. So I pray whatever restoration needs to happen for my brothers and sisters today, that you'd give them that restoration. Remind them, Lord, just like the, the, the parable of the prodigal son with the father, like nothing changes on the father's part. That you always are who you promise to be and who you say you are. Continue to be faithful, Lord. We know you will be, and we cling to that promise. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not know you, who's, who's never trusted in you, that today would be the day that they trust in you that they trust in you, turn away from their sins, repent of them, and believe that you are who you say you are, and believe that you did what you said you did through your son, sending your son to die for them. You are a good and gracious God. You don't want anyone to perish. So let people today be snatched back from the flames of the hellfire and be brought into your kingdom, your kingdom of light. It is a glorious, glorious, glorious kingdom to be reconciled with the Father and to know you. To know you not just as God, but as our heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.